Welcome to Vedic Living. I'm Ben Collins. In this series of podcasts, Aparna Kanokar and I explore ways to utilize the insights of the ancient Vedic rishis to establish a life full of good health, balance, and spiritual fulfillment. This week, Aparna presents insights into the Ayurvedic approach to cooking to maximize the health and spiritual benefits of the food that we eat. And, of course, in Ayurveda, they consider food to be both divine and medicine. The form of the Divine Mother who feeds us is Anapurna, who is pictured with a large spoon to feed Shiva, who is asking her for food to provide him with the energy to achieve knowledge and enlightenment. And at the end of the podcast, I present a series of different mantras for Anapurna that can be used as grace. Well, good afternoon, Aparna. Good afternoon, Ben. So our topic for today is going to be food. My favorite. <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. <laughs> well, the, uh, the goddess of food in the Vedic tradition is Anapurna. And uh, Ana means food in Sanskrit. And uh, her story is really very, very simple. Um, Anapurni or Anapurna is a form of Parvati, the wife of Shiva. And uh, I love the stories of Parvati and Shiva. They have a really fascinating relationship. It's very dynamic, and it, in, uh, in an odd sort of way, it's very human. Because um, he's always making mistakes, and she yells at him. And, and yet, there's, there, you, know, you also get this sense of a very deep affection between the two of them. And um, uh, so their interactions are just full of life, and, and it's a lot of fun to read them. Um, of course, they have different roles to play in the universe, uh, but they are certainly co-equal in terms of their, of their power. Uh, however, <laughs> Shiva, one day, in a moment of carelessness, happened to remark that uh, since the world is an illusion then all food is just an illusion too. It's just <laughs> maya, and what does it matter? Mm-hmm. Which, which you know, while this may be true in a philosophical sense, it probably was not the right thing to say. Uh, it misses the point. And uh, Parvati looked at him with complete disbelief, and rather than argue with him, simply disappeared. Mm. And when that happened, of course, time came to a standstill. The earth became barren. There was no food anywhere in the universe. And uh, as the, as the uh, literature says, all beings suffered from great hunger. But Parvati, uh, above all else, is compassionate. And uh, she didn't like to see the suffering uh, of all the beings. So she went to Kasi also known as Varanasi, and she started to uh, provide food. And eventually Shiva sort of figured out what the lesson was, and he came to her and holding his begging bowl and uh, asked her to feed him. And this was, of course, his acknowledgement of the primary importance of her role. And together they agreed that if Shiva took care of enlightening the world, she would make sure that all his devotees would be well fed. Um, so, but from from another perspective, um, it is Vishnu who uh, protects and cares for the world, and um, <clears throat> his wife Lakshmi 
is uh, considered to be food because as the goddess of wealth, food is certainly the most essential form of wealth that there is. Or seen from the other perspective, there is no poverty like being hungry. And uh, one of the priests in South India once said to me, you know how you can tell that food is Lakshmi? He said, well, now in their tradition, they say that only God can provide full satisfaction. Uh, only, only God, only the divine is complete. Mm-hmm. Well, food is the only thing that you can really have enough of. Everything else you'll never have enough of, but you can feel full of food. Therefore, food is Lakshmi. Mm. And I thought that was a very nice and very creative uh, way of looking at this. Yeah. So, uh, so Annapurna and food. And I think, as, as you and I have spoken of before, food plays a unique role in the Vedic tradition in that it's integrated into the spiritual practice of, you know, you offer food to the divine first, and then, you know, you receive it as prasadam or as the, the gift um, after it's been blessed. And so it's one of those things that um, if we have the right attitude about food, it becomes part of our spiritual life. And at the end of the podcast, I have some, uh, some mantras that will uh, become a part of that. Wonderful. So today we're going to talk about Ayurvedic cooking. Since we're talking about food, we have to talk about cooking. Right. Um, Ayurvedic cooking is about balance, of course, and we've talked about balance many times throughout all of our podcasts. But in this conversation, the ba- the balance we're talking about is physical, spiritual, and mental, not just a physiological, but it's spiritual, emotional, mental, it's everything. We want to feel balanced in everything we are and everything we do. So um, we've also talked about digestion. So one of the main factors that we consider when we talk about Ayurvedic cooking is digestion. Um, Along with that, we talk about the quality of the food, the quantity of the food, the degree of hunger, and the combinations of foods spices, the frame of mind of the person who's eating, and the frame of mind of the person who has cooked. The times of the day determine what kind of food you will eat. The seasons will determine what and how much you eat. And drinking of water or other drinks, lassies and things like that, and desserts, very important. The age of the person is also important in determining what kind of food is served or prepared. And the degree of ama or toxins present in the person's body and mind. So those are some of the factors that we consider when we think about Ayurvedic cooking. And then, of course, when we talk about Ayurvedic cooking, we also discuss why we eat. Well, on one fundamental level, we eat because we can sustain the physiology, the body. But according to Ayurveda, and Vedic tradition, we eat to purify the body. We eat in a way that it prepares us for spiritual awakening. And when we talk about the gunas in relation to food, it will make sense to you. Uh, We also can gain a liberation from our lower states of consciousness, so we can go to the higher levels of consciousness. And 
to some degree or in some ways have a control over desires and impulses that exist in their lower states of consciousness. Even more fundamentally speaking, food is love. Food is life. I think in uh, one of the Vedic texts it says food is Brahman. It sustains us. We derive prana from it. We, sa we are satiated from it. And it feels good to eat. Um, for our purposes today, we're going to talk about food from the perspective of it being medicinal in nature. Um, and then that's when the gunas come into, into play. As we know, there are three gunas that are mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita and in the Ayurvedic texts and many other ancient Vedic texts. The first one is sattva, and the next one is rajas, and the third one is tamas. So um, in terms of Ayurvedic cooking, sattvic food is the most suitable for a spiritual path. It nourishes us, it creates peace, and it calms the mind and purifies the mind. And it creates happiness. It gives us strength and satisfaction. So when you think about sattvic food, you can just associate it with one term, and that's happiness. It makes you feel happy. Sattvic food, they say, also leads to true health. And examples of sattvic food are whole grains, ghee, which is clarified butter, milk from cows that are treated with a great deal of love and caring, mangoes, uh, white basmati rice that's aged, vegetables, fresh fruits, sweet fruits specifically, almonds, um, saffron, things of those, things of that kind. The next guna is rajas. And rajasic foods have the quality of hot and bitter and salty and spicy to them. So coffee, tea, black tea, that is not herbal tea, chocolate, fermented foods, garlic, onions, those all fall under the category of rajasic foods. Um, it's said that rajasic foods create a lack of equilibrium between the body and mind because it overstimulates the mind. It excites passions and it can also make the mind restless and agitated. And sometimes rajasic food can cause, cause pain and discomfort and certain diseases. I think you can tell from listening to this that rajasic foods are heating, they're acidic and they're heating. So those can cause some inflammatory issues in the mind as well as in the body. Tamasic foods, the Vedic texts say, benefit neither the body nor the mind. It's said that prana is withdrawn. It makes the mind cloudy and foggy and inertia sets in. And the body's resistance to disease is also reduced. Um, tamasic foods include alcohol, tobacco, meat, stale or leftover foods. And overall, it creates um, an impure body-mind, inertia, and also a dullness in the body and mind. People who eat a lot of tamasic foods have very sluggish digestion. They have a lot of ama, which is one of the ways you know that somebody has ama is by checking your tongue in the morning. And if there's a thick white coating on your tongue, that means you have a lot of... Um, not only bacteria, but also a lot of toxic buildup 
in the body. And one way that you can get rid of it is by scraping your tongue with a copper or silver tongue scraper that you can look up online and buy it. Um, it's actually one of the um, prescribed daily routine activities, scraping your tongue in the morning. In some Ayurvedic texts, it's said that if there's a coating on your tongue, then you can be guaranteed that that coating goes all the way into your intestines, that kind of ama that's built up. So be very aware when you eat tamasic foods that you're going to create this kind of ama in the body and mind. Um, so each of these gunas inspire a certain action within us. Sattvic food generates happiness. Rajasic food creates action on our part, whether it's emotional, mental, or physical. And tamasic foods generally create a sense of a lack of vigilance on our part. But we need all of these. We need all three of these qualities for our sustenance. But we must choose for ourselves what kind of energy we want more of in our lives. Obviously, for those who are on a spiritual path, sattvic food is the most suitable because it's it's uh, it's even. That food is even. It's easier to digest. It tastes delicious. It's balancing. And you, after you eat, you feel full and satiated and fulfilled, but not sluggish and dull. You have energy to get up and move and get things done, and you don't gain weight. Uh, but you also maintain your healthy state, whatever it is, a vata body type or pitta body type. And then, of course, a very important aspect of Ayurvedic cooking is the concept of prasadam. Um, in some parts of India, it's also called bhoga or bhog. Um, that essentially means that we prepare the meal and offer it to the divine before we partake of it. So we're cooking for the divine. So of course we wouldn't give the divine some meat or alcoholic foods, you know, foods prepared with wine or anything like that. So in the Vedic tradition, we offer pure vegetarian sattvic food as prasadam. And of course when we offer it to the divine, they also say that that food is now purified by the touch of the divine, so to speak. And then when we eat it, it helps us purify ourselves. It can be the simplest thing. It can be a bowl of quinoa and dal and some steamed vegetables. But an offering of that nature is considered, considered to create even more sattvic energy within us. And of course, when we think about cooking for the divine or even for a loved one, you know, we take great care to cook for them with love and affection and we think about what they might like. So in the same way, when we cook for the divine with that kind of special loving energy, then we're putting our own loving energy into this food which will come back and nourish us and nurture us. These um, are... these these. Uh these concepts are all are all um, very sensible and and very focused, and I think anybody that's listening to the podcast will certainly be able to re relate to them in principle. But <clears throat> talk for a minute about with this concept of of, of sattvic food in mind. You know, uh, I spent years uh, traveling the country as an engineering manager, and. Um, uh, 
you know you you have to you have to live in the real world and um you know if you're going taking customers out to dinner um it doesn't always po- it's not always possible to ask for a nice bowl of uh quinoa and steamed vegetables <laughs> so True, Ben. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, uh, uh, I'm a master at finding the one vegetarian item on any restaurant's <laughs> menu. Um, so, talk, so talk about it in the real world for a minute um, so that people get a sense of, um, you know, what some strategies they can use are. And usually it's really just a matter of kind of rethinking old habits, that it, it is possible to to eat a relatively sattvic diet no matter where you are and what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. You know, something like a vegetable soup or a vegetarian soup with beans and different vegetables and grains, you know, that can bless it. If you have to eat out, buy it and bless it and eat it and it will have good energy and it will nurture you. And salads are a good option and, you know, and what you drink also helps. I Whenever I eat out, there's only one drink I order and that is hot water with lemon. I don't drink anything besides that because hot water with lemon helps digest and hot drinking hot liquids, especially when you know that you didn't prepare the food, helps you digest it. So, you know, yeah, it will require a little bit of rethinking and looking, searching in the menu, asking. Sometimes it's just a matter of asking. Ask for a bowl of sautéed vegetables. They'll be glad to make it for you. And, you know, sometimes you can't avoid it. You're in a place where you have, like, four choices and three and a half of those don't work for you, but you make the best of it. And then be aware that the next day you can take care of your diet. You can help yourself, help your digestion along the following day. Um, I... When I eat out, if I don't, if I can't find grains and legumes, I'll settle for tofu and rice and vegetables. Beans are always a great option for those who are eating eating a more sattvic diet, vegetarian diet. Um, soups are good. Stir fries are good. Vegetarian tacos are good. How about uh, pasta? Pasta is good. Just ask for vegetables with it. Right. You know, when you eat out, it's nearly impossible to ask for things without garlic or onions because those enhance the flavors of food. So your spiritual practice is not doomed if you eat a bowl of pasta with garlic and onions and olives or something, cheese or something. It's okay. You know, I mean, we can't, we don't live in India 5,000 years ago. And we all have jobs and we all have to work and make our ends meet and so we have to be flexible. As long as we enjoy what we're eating and we bless it beforehand. And a blessing in, the, in Vedic terms, it literally means that you're offering your plate of food to God. And then the God or divine will bless it and then you eat it, which will then make your food sanctified. So it can be done with any food. I, I don't recommend doing it with meats and you know non-vegetarian food. Um, but regardless, you know, when you bless your food, you're just somehow cleaning up the energy. Of course, in, from a traditional Ayurvedic standpoint, you, you would prepare your own meals because you know what's going into the food and you know what kind of energy you're putting into the cooking process. 
And I, of course, encourage all my clients to cook at home as much as possible and also to avoid eating out as much as possible. Does that answer your question, Ben? <laughs> well, so, sort of yes and no. The, one, of the, one of the points I think that we're trying to make in this podcast is that there are lots of different ways um, to incorporate these principles of Vedic living into your daily life. Now, you know, I live in Los Angeles. I have three teenage children. About the only way that I can get enough time with them to have, a, like, an extended conversation mm-hmm. is by taking them out to eat. So I eat out a lot. One of the advantages of living in Los Angeles is that we have so many different cuisines to choose from. And I find that ethnic foods, whether it's Thai food or Indian food or Vietnamese food, um, Chinese food, you know, offers a lot of opportunity to eat um, in a way that's healthy and, you know, reasonably sattvic. Um, And, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's a scale. You know, there's an ideal on, on one hand, and, you know, you can say that, that uh, you know, certainly going to Lowry's Steakhouse is not, should not be high on your list of options. Um, yes. but, but, you know, like so many things, in, you know, in the real world, sometimes you are faced with uh, multiple choices, none of which are ideal, and it's a matter of choosing what's best for you under the circumstances and then not feeling bad about it. Yeah, definitely that's very important. My teacher always said, if you're going to eat cheesecake, eat it and relish it. Don't think about how it's going to affect your thighs the next day, <laughs> but just enjoy it. Right. You know, there's something to be said for that. Food is also meant for our pleasure, and that's why it's called, it's one of the bhogas, you know, one of the sensual pleasures of the world, the material world. Make the best choice out of all your options. When you're eating out and you have four options, pick the best one. And, you know, the human body is very resilient. It's amazing. It's it's the most miraculous thing, how flexible it is and how resilient it is. So, okay, one day we didn't have the best choice. The next day you can make different choices, and the next day you can make different choices. And, you know, if you've been listening to these podcasts, you can, we've offered so many wonderful tips on lifestyle and digestion and daily routines, and you can employ two, three of those, and they will make the biggest difference. And one of them is hot water with lemon. I think I've mentioned this in at least three out of the five podcasts so far. The hot water with lemon is one of the best, best things in the morning best way to get rid of certain kinds of toxins in the physiology Mm -hmm. and fasting and fasting doesn't have to mean you don't eat for five days it it simply means skipping one meal you skip one meal and you will give your digestive system a break and it will be able to clean out the toxins much more easily and if you can't skip a meal have some fruit even that helps. And if you can't do that, if that's too much, because for some vata types, that would be too much. That would make them dizzy and exhausted. Then have a bowl of kitchri. I think we have the recipe on. Yes, or, we do. It's yeah. on the site. Right. And kitchri is one of the best foods to eat to give your digestive system a break while nourishing yourself. So um, in terms of eating out, you know, 
I, I agree with you, Ben. Ethnic restaurants offer you the best choices. They generally have a lot of vegetables in their foods. And uh, for the most part, they could taste good. And they will have garlic and onion, but as as we talked about this, you know, if you eat garlic and onion in one day, it's not going to destroy your spiritual practice. So in the end, we have to be gentle on ourselves and our bodies and just do the best you can. Exactly. Yeah. We're not looking for perfection, are we, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can be looking for it. We're not likely to achieve it. Exactly. So we might as well stop looking. <laughs> right, exactly. I thought I would take just a couple of minutes to talk about what I call kitchen tantra. I've mentioned this in my cookbook. And it's simply just some very basic things we can do um, to make our Ayurvedic cooking easier for ourselves. And one of the first things, and this is something that's very commonly practiced in India, is to bathe before you cook. Because um, in India, you know, cleanliness is considered to be next to godliness. The physical body, to be clean, is a very it's a virtue. And also take time to cook. Play some music, light a candle. Enjoy the process because if you cook in a hurry, you're most likely going to eat in a hurry and then you're going to put all this fast-moving, subtle energy in your body. And that's not going to benefit you. And the other thing is to make sure that you have some of the basic staples organized in your kitchen, in your pantry. I have anywhere between two to five pounds of rice, different kinds of lentils, some pastas, different kinds of dried beans. I have all my spices at all times. I have grapeseed oil and olive oil. Um, of course, fruit and vegetables from the farmer's market. This way I know when I come home, I've had a busy day, I know I can cook something, anything, versus not having a fully stocked pantry, you know, where you want to cook and you don't have half the ingredients, then you're most likely not going to cook. Then you'll end up eating out. Um, I also plan my menu every week. I plan it on Friday for the following week. And I make a list of what I need to purchase, and I buy exactly what's on my list. I don't get distracted by all the attractive other things. Um, you know, food is a gift from the divine, as we talked about earlier. So waste, wasting of food is considered somewhat sinful. You're throwing away God's gift to you. So if you plan your meals carefully, you can make one fresh meal each day and have enough for the following day's lunch and most likely you will not have to throw away too much food. I cook one meal, you know, around 4 o'clock in the evening. That's for myself and my children, a fresh dinner. And then I make enough for their lunch and my lunch the following day. There's hardly ever any leftovers or wastage. So... Now, why don't we eat leftovers? Well, one, because it has this tamasic energy and it doesn't have much prana. And in classical Ayurveda, anything that's nine hours old is considered a leftover. But of course, we have to be practical. We don't live in a culture where all we did as women or even men is just cook all day and just nurture our families. We have other responsibilities as well. 
So nothing that's more than 24 hours old. I think that's a reasonable. And once you understand how important it is when you have a spiritual practice and you want to eat healthy, the concept of getting all the rasa and the wonderful sattvic energy and the prana from the food, you will you'll start noticing that the food tastes different and it doesn't leave you feeling satisfied and fulfilled. It doesn't give you that energy. It kind of makes you tired, actually, when you eat leftovers. It takes a huge amount of energy for the, for the body to digest food that's heavy. So consider these things. And I also encourage all my clients to purchase a crock pot and a rice cooker. Those are your two best friends in the kitchen. Often I teach my clients to soak the beans overnight in the morning, put it in the crock pot, and they, they're off to work. When they come back, the beans are cooked, and it's ready to be prepared. So there are many easy ways to um, make your cooking more efficient and faster without the stress. We don't want stress while cooking or eating. Um, I also wanted to talk about rasa. And um, rasa in Sanskrit means juice or essence or delight. There are so many meanings for the word rasa. It also means taste. And this rasa in the food is really important because it stimulates prana, which then stimulates agni or our digestive fire. Um, we've talked about the six tastes before, and they originate from the pancha mahabhutas or the five elements. And... The six tastes, namely sweet, salty, sour, bitter, pungent, and astringent, are actually the properties of the Panchamahabhutas, or five elements. Um, in Ayurvedic cooking, we also consider two um, concepts called virya and vipak. Virya is energy that activates taste or rasa. So... As we know, foods have either hot or cold energy. We've talked about this in relation to spices. Um, and each six, each of the six tastes has a respective energy. For instance, bitter, the taste of bitter and astringent is um, cool. You know, it's cooling, drying and cooling. And of course, the taste of pungent is heating because it's hot. Garlic, onions, cayenne pepper, red chilies, green chilies. And, and post-digestive effect, which is called vipak, is how the taste of the food may change within at the end of the digestive process. And this, of course, is due to agni. Um, in Ayurveda, in terms of quantities of eating... We also say that uh, you could divide up the stomach cavity into four parts and you would only fill three parts of it. So two handfuls of food, one portion of liquid, in this case it would be hot water, small amounts that you sip with your meal, and you leave the other portion empty. So it has room, there's room for the food to churn and for the digestive process to unfold. If it's too full, then it's hard for digestion to occur optimally. So that's very important. And two handfuls are literally two handfuls. If you put your two palms together, 
that's how much food they say you must eat. So the bigger your hands are, the more food you get to eat. Um, that's very difficult to practice because most of us eat way more than we need to because we're just used to it. Um, one last point I wanted to make. Uh, there's a famous saying in Ayurveda, depending on how your digestion is, you can turn nectar into poison or poison into nectar. So if there's one thing that you got out of this podcast, I, I'm hoping it is this very important aspect known as digestion. We eat for very many reasons. We talked about you know, spiritual practice, offering food to the divine, for satiation, for fulfillment, to nurture our bodies, to sustain our bodies. But digestion is very, very important because we can eat the best and the most amazing organic food, fresh food, but if our digestion is weak, it's going to turn toxic in the body and it's not going to really benefit us. So just some quick um, tips on enhancing your digestion one is to eat a very thin sliver of ginger with a few drops of lime and a couple of grains of sea salt just before your meal. It's kind of an appetizer. And also different kinds of chutneys for different doshas are also wonderful for enhancing digestion. And sipping small amounts of hot water is also very good for igniting your digestive agni. Eating slowly is very important. Chewing your food is also important because your digestion actually really begins in the mouth with the enzymes and the saliva in the mouth. So if you're just swallowing your food very fast, then you're missing that very first step. So eating slowly, sitting down and eating is also very important for digestion. And then having pleasant conversation while you eat. Not talking about politics or war or the economy, but actually talking about pleasant things or eating in silence, either one. And at the end of your meal, to sit for several minutes, not be in a rush to move around or get back to work. And if possible, to walk a 100 steps. To stroll for a 100 steps is supposed to be very beneficial for your digestion. Vata people should sit for at least 15 minutes. Pittas can sit for 10 minutes after a meal, and kafas will do fine with just sitting for 5 minutes. So these are some of the important ways that we can not only enjoy the food, but also understand how food affects us and how it can enhance our spiritual practice and our health or not, and also the concepts of digestion, which is very important, as important as eating. Well, that's great. That's really very helpful. Very helpful. And I think that, um, uh, you know, we keep coming back to the integration of food with spirituality. Yes. And uh, Annapurna is a form of the divine that we would have the reason and, and opportunity to acknowledge uh, very often. Because if you think of how many times we eat or drink in a day, mm -hmm. and uh, each time is an opportunity to bring her to our awareness and, and as such forms the basis for a very simple but surprisingly effective sadhana that establishes a receptivity to the finer vibrations of food that, that we eat. Yes. 
So uh, each time you eat or drink, you can say, uh, Anapurnaye Namaha, which just means I offer gratitude to Anapurna. And if you want something more, you know, more elaborate, you can use a longer version that includes some of the Bija mantras for a little extra power. Uh, Om Shreem Hreem Kleem Namo Bhagavate Maheshwari Anapurne Swaha. Oh, I like that uh, one. The meaning is simply the Om Om Hreem Shreem Kleem is just the um, uh, Bija mantras for the various forms of um, the Divine Mother, uh, Lakshmi, Saraswati, and Durga. Uh, Namo means to offer um, gratitude for. Uh, Bhagavate is the form of the divine. Maheshwari, Maheshwara is Shiva. Maheshwari is the feminine form. And Anapurne, obviously we've been talking about her. And Swaha is to offer. So, uh, you know, I honor the goddess who is the wife of Shiva and who feeds the world to her. I offer thanks for this food. Om Hrim Shreem Kleem Namo Bhagavate Maheshwari Anapurne Swaha.